0: Welcome everybody to a Baseball America podcast, along with JJ Cooper. I am John Manuel. JJ is joining us live from uh, Port Charlotte, Florida, as we uh, start our spring training uh, whipple round. I guess you could say in uh, <laughs> at Baseball America this spring. If only we were doing this all in one video feed, JJ would be awesome. But we've got now
1: we go to Arizona, and again to Arizona, and, and again-, again to Arizona.
0: Exactly. But now we go to Florida, so we have three jokers in Arizona. Uh, Josh Norris already there. Ben Badler and Matt Eddy going over the weekend. Ben for an international tour and international prospects being brought to Arizona. And Matt Eddy for the Sabre Conference. Josh is there just covering spring training like you are. And JJ, you're in Florida. So, first off, sorry. Second of all, (laughs) what's the best (laughs) part? What's the best part of spring training in Florida uh, if if you had to give one?
1: Um, The best part is is that you. You know the pods, like in in Arizona. You know there are teams that there's a lot more shared complexes and all that. But I I do like here that you have these little pods of four teams, and so pretty easily in a day you can see some aspects of four different teams. Um, You know, if you go over well, three. You go over to a to the workouts in the morning and you see one club, and if you really want to and hustle, you can then go to another club during the afternoon and see you know two teams facing off two clubs playing each other so you do have that kind of going for it and uh not gonna really help me if you're coming down to you know as a fan hey you got the beaches not far away too i mean that's the difference between florida and arizona that's a but great
0: point that's, I, a, that's an important I'm, uh, distinction
1: didn't even pack a swimsuit john i'm you know i've got i've got seven days here and i plan on uh, packing in as much baseball as I can. Not as much uh, beach, but yeah, I
0: guess, uh. I guess the other difference is the color green versus the color brown. Yes. you know
1: there's a lot of green. You know there's a lot of green here. There's a lot of brown and a lot of gravel in uh, in Arizona.
0: That's for sure. A lot of crushed red brick. So um, so now you started off in Dunedin, correct? Uh, the the capital of a uh, capital city of Florida, on the west coast. But you so you're starting on the west coast. Who who have you seen so far?
1: So I've seen. Okay, first day of. Minor league spring training on t- Tuesday saw Blue Jays and Phillies, both their A ball clubs. Uh, and then yesterday I saw Red Sox and Twin, both their A ball clubs. And then today I'm at, as you mentioned, Port Charlotte, I'm at the Rays complex right now. I've watched BP and workouts here in the morning. Now I'm headed to Sarasota to watch Rays and Orioles, Double A AA and Triple A clubs face each other over at the uh, Orioles complex. And then tomorrow, going over to Bradenton to see uh, Tyler Glasnow pitch and watch uh, Pirates. I can't remember who the Pirates are playing yet. Um, And then, oh, it's got to be the Phillies, the Blue Jays, or the Yankees, though, because that's their little pod. And then this weekend, head over to Kissimmee, see the Astros, and then hopefully get over to Jupiter, see the Cardinals and Marlins, maybe the Braves. And I'll wrap up uh, with a little swing by the Yankees uh, camp for workouts on Tuesday before flying back out.
0: Well, let's start off then with that Toronto-Philadelphia day, uh, which, which you kind of saw down there. And I guess the, the, those are two, you know, bottom ten ranked farm systems, at least in the handbook. We'll do another organization talent ranking in uh, our minor league preview issue next, which we're wrapping up part two of our major league preview with the focus on the rookies in this issue of Baseball America. Then we'll have the minor league preview next issue. Uh, which a lot of the spring training reporting uh, clearly is geared to, um, but JJ, when we talk about uh, those two organizations, they're ranked in the bottom ten for completely different reasons. Toronto mostly because it traded away all of its talent. Philadelphia because they just really haven't drafted and developed much talent uh, as much recently. And but they're both they're both organizations that take a lot of risks. that are uh, high high risk high reward draft philosophies. Um, was that evident when you saw their uh, their, their clubs and, and, and the the one day look that you had?
1: Oh yeah, um, I would say with the Blue Jays, they're a as you said they're a, you know they're probably a bottom third organization. But at the same time, if you ask me right now, I, I'd say that they they have a a 50 50 shot. They could either really improve in the next year in the rankings or kind of fall backwards even further because there's so many young high ceiling talents in that organization like watching franklin barreto and mitch nay and rowdy tellas and and guys like that dj i didn't get to see dj davis that day but dj davis there's a whole lot of guys like that who if it all comes together now these are these are guys who may go to lansing this year none of them really were in full season ball last year but there's a ton of guys who could be top hundred prospects right but If with with all with a lot of them, there's that okay. We've got to see it, (laughs) and they're really kind of early enough in their careers that we haven't had a chance to see it much yet. But so that you have that, and the Phillies do have some some interesting guys as well. I mean, these are two organizations. I would say that again, they're different. The Phillies don't have a whole lot of depth, but J.P. Crawford's fascinating. Watching him. Um, you know, so you got guys like that. You just don't have nearly as many guys with the Phillies like that as you do with the Blue Jays. But JP Crawford, obviously, Mike Franco who's up, uh, you know, with, with the Major League camp, Jesse Biddle, you have know, those guys. But what, what I saw, you, you see, <laughs> there were less guys. I'll put the there, there were less guys who were jumping out with the Phillies than there were with the Blue Jays, which I kind of expected considering the fact that the Blue Jays have so many young, high ceiling talents.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about um, you know you, you tweeted about Carlos Tochi. He's one of those high ceiling talents. I will say that the one thing that the Phillies have done, I think, fairly well in recent years. Uh, you know, they, they, they I think they've created a lot of value for a lot of their international signings. You know, a guy like uh, uh, last year Severino Gonzalez is a guy who was again a low ceiling, thought of low dollar signing. They didn't invest a ton of money in him. Um they're usually not an organization that spends a ton of money on international guys, but it did give Carlos Tochi you know close to seven hundred sixty thousand dollars um you may have seen Luis Encarnacion or David Grione uh, when you saw them so there are some
1: Devi. saw devi
0: so there's some there's some higher ceiling international guys down there. I wasn't sure what your take was maybe on uh, the miner's skinniest man Carlos Tochi and then uh davy well
1: with 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 Carlos <laughs> talking to him uh Little bit in English, a little bit in Spanish, and a little bit of help of a translator. Uh he he gained eight pounds this sum this off season, which is good. Now the, the bad, bad news for, for Carlos is he needs to do that next off season, he needs to do that the offseason after that, he needs to do that the offseason after that. So he's right now, you you know, he's still not one seventy, and he's still really skinny. And he's probably he's never gonna be thick, he's never probably gonna be uh, a big guy by any stretch, but Everything we heard in the South Atlantic League last year was, hey, more than anything, it's not the swing mechanics are a problem that much or anything. It's just he can't impact the baseball yet. And if he can't impact the baseball, there's just not a whole lot you can do offensively. And teams, pitchers don't really uh, have much reason to nibble or anything like that. Great defensively, great instincts. Uh, I talked to his manager last year, probably his manager again this year, Greg Legg. And he made the point, the thing that stood out to him is, is, here you're talking about a guy who's 17. And he remembers him throwing to the wrong base once, maybe twice, all last year. He said, you just don't see that with the young guy. He understands the game. He's fascinating those ways. Like, there's a lot there to like. Could be a a plus center fielder who can run. He really kind of glides. You know, all the good baseball instincts, all that. But you just want to see him get bigger and stronger. It is worth remembering he's going to play all this year, almost all this year as an 18-year-old. So it's not something like he's still – Going back to the South Atlantic League, he's still going to be one of the younger guys in that league. But he's, he's interesting, but he also – there are some significant caveats there. And, and that's the part that you – with a lot of these guys, you have to remember. It's like, okay, that's why I'm really excited that we we're got spring training going and then we're going to have games going. It's, it's great because when you get to the games, then we start to see some of these things. Okay, is he making that adjustment? Is he have, Has that developed? And I don't know about you – but that's the part where you get to that February point where it's like, okay, we've we've really evaluated and analyzed and talked to as many people as we can about what happened last year. Right. I'm ready for new things to happen, yeah.
0: So absolutely. that we can
1: start talking to them about what's happening this year.
0: Absolutely. No, that's one of the, I mean, I'm just ready for this year. I mean, uh, it, we've had enough winter. Uh, it's, it's great that college baseball season's happening, but uh, you know, like really this week. Is when minor league games uh, really start getting played in the, on those backfields. And uh, it's exciting to actually have some minor league and some prospect stuff going on. And JJ really is kind of revolutionary uh, in the last couple of years. Just how much spring training is on TV, how much, uh, probably a column for next issue, but <laughs> there's so many more oh. opportunities to, to see minor league games, uh, whether it's over the web. Uh, and just, uh, you know, it, the, the profile so much higher than, of course, college baseball games. I mean, it's crazy how many more college baseball games are on TV
1: than used to be. So, well, well, kind of one of the things that stood out to me, kind of when you talk about that, how much more baseball there is everywhere, is, is that, John, you and I are both kind of, by modern standards, old. We've been cover- watching baseball, following baseball since the '70s in some ways. So, I- I've been going to spring training for more than 20 years now, and-, and spring training's really changed over those 20 years. 20 years ago, spring training was still kind of a hidden gem. Teams were playing. In, in parks that really, in many ways, were not a whole lot better than, uh, you know, than, than minor league parks, really were some cases in inferior to minor league parks. I remember at watching expos and Braves games, and they had chain link fencing, uh, you know, in some places if I remember correctly. Well, now minor league spring training is big business. You can pay ten dollars to park to go to a spring training game. You can pay really big league prices to watch games that don't matter, which kind of baffles me in some ways, but. The one place in spring training to me that's kind of still a hidden gem is going to the backfield. Absolutely. In most everywhere, everywhere I've gone, it's a free. You just show up, you can you know, and watch the games if you want. Not a whole lot of people do, but you get to see. You've got usually two games going on on side field back to back. So if you're interested in this game, then you can put you. Know, you can really just turn your head and be watching a second game at the same time. Yesterday, I'm watching. Tray Ball for the Red Sox on one mound, and Cody Kukuk for the Red Sox on another mound, and just you could and you could watch both of them do everything they did almost because it worked out that they were on the mounds at different times. Uh, you know, the half innings were flipping over at different rates. So, the backfields is is a I I will be here for a week. I don't know if I'll go to a big league game while I'm here, and, and if I don't, I, I don't think I'll be missing much. Yeah, that is the best part
0: to me about. Uh, minor league spring training, it's kind of like instructional league, only there's more kind of at stake, which is neat. Um, you know, people are more, <laughs> the players are more invested, and they're not gassed. You know, so I, I really kind of like that. No, uh, not
1: gassed, and they're playing. Really, they're playing for something, right? Because whether on on every level, if you're a, pro, a top prospect, you're obviously not playing for your job, but you are playing to try to prove, hey you were thinking about sending me to high A. I want to show you I'm ready to go to double A. Um, if you're uh, more of a kind of a biddling prospect, you're playing for your job. I mean, you know, you look around and you know, hey, 20, 30, 40, 50 guys aren't leaving here uh, with an assignment. They're leaving here with without a job. And you want to do everything in your power to make sure that you're not one of those guys. And... So the, games, the, the minor league games are very competitive because – not because people are really caring about wins and losses, but because they're playing for jobs or they're playing for assignments or they're playing to – you also – hey, it's not like you don't get evaluated every day in, in the minor league season. No, you've got uh, – you, know, you, you, you know, you've got the whole minor league staff. You've got everyone here. So – you've got a lot to uh to impress in minor league spring training
0: yeah there are a lot of eyes on those guys um both your own organization uh mostly your own organization but also obviously you're getting scouted by other organizations as well and then of course i, I just love the fact that jj Wright, when his minor league spring training is over our uh friend of ba nick belmonte has a camp over in orlando <laughs> the gainesville orlando area but like uh or I guess maybe he has it down at Fort Myers. It's like, hey, if uh, you got cut, here's an indie ball tryout camp,
1: right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's well, that's that's the decision that guys have to make. Is is that, that, if you've got an agent or if you're yourself, if you get cut, the first thing you're doing is is okay. Is there another team out there, affiliated team out there that wants me? And it happens, but the the chances are very low. Because everyone else is in the same roster crunch. Right. You're not sitting there saying, "Hey, we're going to cut this guy, and then we're going to cut this guy, and then we're going to find ten guys on waivers that we really, you know, that just got released that we're going to add to the club." That's not how teams approach it. So then you've got to make that decision. Okay, well, do I want to? If I'm, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to go indie ball? Do I want to hope that if I keep it in shape that a couple of months from now, there's a scout that I know who maybe who really likes me and maybe he can get me on with their club when they have some injuries. a whole kind of a lot of... I was talking to a couple of farm directors already just saying, like, I know that this is... The worst part of your job is coming up. And they are all in a pretty much agreement, yes. The worst part of the job is coming up. Because over the next two weeks, a lot of guys, a lot of people are going to be told, sorry, the dream that you've had since you were five, six, seven years old is over. And some of those guys are are going to say, okay, well, it's time for me to go on and do something else with my life. And a lot of guys aren't going to be really ready to accept that that dream is over. And one or two of those guys may be right. For the majority of them, no, it is – you can keep trying to do it, but the reality is, is you're not going to be a big leaguer. The, the numbers of, of guys released as minor leaguers who end up as big leaguers is the very small list. Right,
0: right, no doubt. Um, talking to J.J. Cooper here on the Baseball America podcast – JJ, um, let's get back. I actually have a question from a reader, Chris Webb, who's a college baseball writer based uh, in the Ohio State, in the Columbus, Ohio area. He had a question about Alex Wimmers. Wasn't sure if you'd have a chance to see Alex Wimmers in Twins camp. Um, Not sure if you saw the former first-rounder there, and if you did, how he looked or what there any buzz was. But I'll expand it to just in general, uh, how the Minnesota Twins pitching look. uh, at your brief look there.
1: No, I didn't see Wimmers yesterday. I was seeing A-ball clubs. Um, there, a lot of times what they do here is, you know, they'll send the A-ball clubs will be at one place and the Double AA, Triple be at another. I don't know with that, I, and obviously with pitchers, it's even tougher. Like you're just really, it's the vagarities of that one day out of five days. So um, um, I, I may check with some Twin guys to try to get a little update on on Wimmers, but he was not one of the guys yesterday I saw really probably if you talked about the top prospect I saw pitching wise for the twins yesterday it was uh, Hudson Boyd who looked pretty solid i um, still you know a big thick guy but uh 92 91 92 and really velocity wise most guys right now may not be at their true you know max velocity that they're gonna you're gonna see during the season there this was the first official spring training game for for any of the guys pitching yesterday um, if you I tweeted about this But if you want to talk about deep, deep sleeper, and I'm not saying this guy's a top prospect or anything, but Cameron Boozer, a lefty for the Twins who threw yesterday, uh, non-drafted free agent last year out of Central Arizona Community College, was kind of a – stood out to me from the standpoint of if you see non-drafted free agent, you don't expect to see stuff. Right. You know, that's generally the rule. And he was a lefty who was 91 to 93 uh, with some arm side run, you know, so – the, the, it wasn't a straight fastball. It had a little bit of uh, movement on it. He also had a a, a solid, uh, you know, some uh, a changeup that wasn't terrible. It was kind of just stood out from the standpoint of, hey, you're not expecting to see much, and then no, this guy's actually got some stuff. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have the full story on him yet, but from just asking around a little bit, so I think he may have had some injuries in college, and also that's the name. I'm I'll put it this way: it put it on the radar where I'm going to be kind of interested to see. I would assume he might even be uh, going to you know kind of being held back in extended spring, but I'll be seeing what you know kind of what he does this year. And because he, he looked like a lefty, you know, potentially lefty reliever who who was a little better than than maybe you would expect.
0: Right. That's that sounds interesting. I mean, obviously the Red Sox and the Twins have very highly regarded farm systems. Yeah, I just wasn't sure uh, what your ta- quick kind of quick takeaway was from. That that quick look, uh, did they did they
1: look like top farm systems when you when you saw them in that uh, yeah. matchup? Yeah, I, I, what stands out is is that there's a, just a number of guys who who stand out. Um, and you, again, you're not seeing everyone; you're seeing kind of little snippets of it. Uh, a lot of the Red Sox top guys are still in big league camp: Blake Swihart, Darren Chicchini, Jackie Bradley, Alan Webster. You know, you could just go down the list. Um, But that being said, you still are seeing at the lower levels, got to see Manuel Margot, Raphael Devers, um, Trey ball. As I said, Trey ball, Cody cook, both pitched. So there's still a number of guys who stand out. You know, it's good to see Margot who, if you were picking a guy who's going to rocket up prospect list in the next two years, he's a good guy to kind of look at. Um, because there's a lot of talent there. He just, he's in a system that has a whole lot of talent. Um, you know, he had he had a couple of rough plays at the third base uh uh you know, yesterday, but uh you know, he, I mean I'm trying to make sure I'm not flipping him with Devers. Devers. actually Devers had a couple of rough plays, but uh in workouts in the morning. But, you know, Margot actually uh, didn't do a whole lot in the game when I watched but watching BP he was spraying line drives everywhere That's a little bit bigger of a leg kick than I expected to see he does get it down early It's a timing mechanism clearly for him But you do always wonder a little bit with with a guy has that kind of big a leg kick you you wonder okay? Is that something that he's going to have to? Uh, change and, and and make adjustments to down the road because it's uh, so pronounced it, 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 It's pronounced and when it's pronounced like that, when you face more advanced pitching, that's something they can take advantage of because what it means is you've got to get started earlier. So as the pitchers are changing speeds, it what kind of is the counterpoint to that is, is if a guy's hands work really well, even if he ends up kind of starting his timing mechanism all a little too soon, he can still use his hands to stay back and, and stay on the ball Margot may be one of the guys who can do that because you just didn't see him. You saw him with the ability to square the ball up, you know, kind of pretty consistently, uh, especially in BP. But it was that was something that stood out a little bit. It's like, wow, that's a little bit more of a I mean, it's really more of a I, it's 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 in between a kick and a step. But it's more than just your normal little steps to, to start your 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 uh, swing.
0: Yeah, it's so unusual. JJ, can you remember anybody uh, to date ourselves again? Because you, you mentioned the uh, '70s baseball. Do you remember anybody in the '70s and '80s who did like a toe tap or the you know the, the kind of? It just seemed like yes. it seemed like everybody who, who toe tapped in the '70s.
1: Not toe tap, but uh, le- Sarah Hara. Oh. <laughs>
0: okay well that's <laughs> how about in the in major League baseball?
1: in the major League baseball, then I can't really think of anyone no
0: it just seems like that's a hitting mechanism that has evolved over the years It's actually probably nothing something we've never done a story on, but it does seem like you know batting stances uh you know in the eighties, you saw a lot of guys who uh, was it the Charlie Lau Walt Reniak you know nobody does that anymore feels, feels like there's a lot there's still variants, but there's not uh, so many fewer exaggerated or unique batting
1: stances so uh i don't know if they, uh, they, I, I don't know the increase in velocity awesome. has something
0: to do with that or or what, I, that's I what I would
1: velocity, assume. but i also think it's an offshoot of uh the the rise of uh specialized instruction and showcase and all that at a younger level i don't think that's entirely what it comes from but i do think for a lot of guys what it is is that instead of it being something where you kind of learn to hit what feels natural to you uh, on your own i mean there's the the famous story about Hank Aaron, you know, how he used to swing, you know, wrong-handed. You know, he had his hands crossed over wrong and helped build up his wrist. Well, that that kind of thing nowadays, you have a lot of guys who are getting specialized hitting instruction from hitting instructors at, at you know, at age 12, 13, 14, 15. And the reality of it is, is that most of the time you're going to end up with a much more conventional stance because the reality of it is, is that that normally, it, for if you don't want a cookie cutter, but overall, that's something that that stands out. Scouts, when you're, you're scouting a guy, if he has an unconventional stance, some guys are going to maybe put him down a little bit for that. You know, they're going to say, "Well, I don't know if that's going to work because he uh, climbs the ladder." Now, some guys, Brian Downing is a guy I always think of who who really turned himself into a prospect and into a solid major leaguer because he was willing to be so unconventional with the stance. But, and you think of a guy like like Gary Sheffield or Julio Franco, you, you know, some guys I've seen, I, I think with Sheffield was a guy who to his credit figured out his, his bat speed was so good that he had to do something to make himself slower, Right. which I've actually had uh, someone tell me, you know, that Sheffield told him that at his point, it, you know, which is not something that you would tell, uh, you know, a young baseball player to do that, that pointing the bat at. So he had a longer path to get, to his kind of his hitting position than most guys. But his bat speed was so incredible that he almost needed that because if he didn't, he was going to be out ahead of everything. Because yeah, I mean, the, same the thing. time that his brain said fire to the time that the bat got in the hitting zone was quicker than anyone else's. Yeah, no, Ricky Weeks had to be had to do the same thing. Obviously not to the same effect
0: that Sheffield did, but he did the exact, and that's why he hit the way he hit. His bat uh, was too fast. And, you know, I think, pitch, I think his pitch recognition... Is not as uh, good as Gary Sheffield's, and that's a big part of it. But very few
1: are. Very few are. Yeah, but I
0: mean, like but his hand speed, uh, his bat speed. Uh, uh, you know, when he came out of Southern, we got those comparisons all the time. I mean, it's not like he's had a bad major league career. He just hasn't had a great major league career. He's been a you know good offensive player, but not a great one. And um, you know, he, he all, his body also has gone a little bit further south than, than Sheffield's ever did. Um, JJ uh, The other
1: reason is that if you said fastest bat speed the miners right now and it's a more conventional swing is Javier Baez. Oh I'd yeah, say that no he doubt. probably is fastest bat.
0: Absolutely, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, JJ, one other thing that I want to touch on, and I'll let you go. Um, you're seeing the Orioles and the Rays. Uh, you already saw the Ray of them a little bit this morning, and now you're driving to a, like the upper levels of those two farm systems um, and you know, the raise system, you know, it's gotten we've, we've talked about, it, I think, in the past that there's uh, more of the top levels there than in the bottom levels. But you know, d- when you see the bottom levels of that organization, you're seeing basically a lot of the products of that quote unquote draft bonanza from 2011, where they had 10 of the first 60 picks. Um, you know, and that draft class hasn't gotten off to a great start. You got uh, Taylor Guerrero with his Tommy John surgery, he's also had his drug suspensions, just like. Yeah, you know, so he just checks in like every other Rays uh, top draft pick. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll set up by saying like from 2008 to 2011, the Rays f- top draft picks uh, have all had a drug suspension, <laughs> or they were traded, or they've already retired. Like 2009, Todd Glassman, uh, who gets the highest signing bonus, they traded him to the Diamondbacks. And now he's retired this spring. 2008, Tim Beckham had a 50-game suspension. Now he has a severe offseason injury. 2010 Josh Saleh missed all of last year. They've already traded Joe, uh, Drew Vettelson. 2011 Guerrero, suspension. Mikey Montex, a little bit of an underwhelming uh, career so far. But there's a lot of volume from that 11 draft class. I mean, what did you see anything in uh, your brief look so far at the Rays that would change my opinion that their lower levels are really in trouble and that they're, they really haven't drafted well for four or five years?
1: Uh, you know, not, I'm not going to go anything on really on personal experience today because watching a, a couple of guys take BP and, and really I, it was a, a work day in many ways so say watching PFPs isn't obviously going to change any, you know, gotcha.
0: any minds or anything
1: like that gotcha. but um, but no I, I do think and we wrote it in the uh, the issue that's there, I wrote it for pulse for the issue that's getting ready to go to press that really and we've talked about it that the, the drafts are not where the Rays have kind of kept themselves, in contention what they've done I think as good a job as anyone at is is trades. and that if you look look at the top of their uh their top prospects right now the vast majority of them are guys that they brought in in trades. you've and it's not, it's not guys who they brought in you know as draft picks what they've done a really good job of is is hey we need a jaco you know we need a pitcher okay well here's Jake to rizzi we'll bring that guy in you know they've Okay, we need a shortstop. Here's Hawk Julie. It's when they needed a pitcher was Chris Archer. You know, you could just keep going back, that guy after guy, who they've managed to target. And admittedly, also it's partly because they're willing to trade a guy, and they're really their M.O. is to trade a guy a year or two before he hits free agency, because in most cases they're not going to be able to afford him. And you know, Will Myers. uh, There's just guy after guy who they've gone out and acquired and. They haven't missed on a whole lot of those guys. They know how to build a bullpen pretty expensively, and that's kind of kept them going, but this isn't a, a top-10 farm system like it used to be. Now, right. now, they draft a whole lot later than they used to, but since they started drafting later, they've, they haven't they have had a whole, whole lot of hits. If a guy, you know, to me, the guy I'm going to be, if you're picking out guys that to watch in the Rays system this year, um, I'm really interested, Andrew Toll's, is a, uh, a potentially an impact guy if he puts it all together. And I think that's a big if, but he's interesting. There, are, I'll be very interested to see Hak-Ju Lee this year. How does he respond when he makes it back from uh, a, a pretty significant knee injury, especially a significant knee injury when you say the entire, really the entire basis of why he could be an impact guy is based on his mobility and, and all. So that's obviously concerning. Yeah, you know, there there's a lot of things to watch for with them. But no, this isn't a system that stands out because it has a, a whole lot of fascinating guys, uh, you know, up up and down the uh the farm system.
0: Right, yeah, and and the Orioles are kind of the same way, obviously. I mean, their farm system down low. I mean, basically they uh had a pretty crucial um draft class for them last year. Because they, they they've given away their whole 2014 draft, so they really need to hope that last year's draft class, the Josh Hart's and the some of the younger guys in last year's draft, obviously Hunter Harvey, that uh, some of those guys pan out. Because there's not going to be a, a large infusion of talent coming in the 2014 draft class uh, for for Baltimore.
1: It, it, as you said, it'd be unconventional. But me and you just talking on the you know talking a couple of days ago, if if you're the Orioles, is there not some you know would would it be? crazy to say we're going to take some amateur scouts off of this year's draft cross checkers and we want to evaluate the international class as well as we ever possibly could because hey you you have you're going to have more they they're going to have probably as much if not more money to spend internationally that they're going to have in the in the draft and they absolutely which is crazy, be,
0: but I think you do your due diligence because one of the things with the draft and I, I don't think we it's not the biggest reason the main, the main reason you you scout all spring is to draft players in June. But you do hear this a lot when teams make trades, uh, at least I hear this a lot, where they're like, well, we like them as an amateur. And you know, this is a guy we had great reports on as an amateur. So you do your due diligence, but I agree with you. I do think there can be, uh, a, a cre- if the Orioles are creative, uh, they take some of their resources this spring um, after they've done their due diligence and that they, they after they scout their guys. Uh, for the, you know, If you think you've done enough for the draft, on basically your fourth to forty rounders, because the first three rounds they basically punted on. Um, but then you send some of those resources, in and by resources I mean your scouts, to Latin America, or you send a lot of those guys to Arizona this week, like Ben's going to go see some of the top international signees, and you put your financial resources there. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the current CBA doesn't allow them to shift financial resources. Really, um, you know, I guess they could uh, blow the, you know, they, they could blow the the. the International well, that's, caps off. I, 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 I think this is a, a acquiring baseball talent. Research and development is one of the few parts of my life, JJ, where I'm actually for
1: free and unfettered markets. <laughs> well, I, I do think that that we've talked about since this new CBA came into being, baseball is less worried. The draft and all this is not as much about competitive balance as it is limiting spending below the major league level. right? And uh, then the players association understandably in some way is complicit in that, in that, Hey, they want you to spend money in free agency. They want you to spend money that way. But if you look at it, I do think the next loophole that is going to end up getting closed is that right now you can go out there and say, you know what, we're going to spend crazy in the internationally one year and we'll take the hit the next year and then but we we'll, and we'll use I mean the reality is if you're the if you're the Orioles the the penalty for going way over your bonus your signing allotment in the international is that you can't sign anyone for more than $250,000 the next year. Right. Well, if you look back at the last 10 years, how many years did the Orioles spend more than $250,000 on guys international?
0: Yeah, great question. It's not
1: that big of a penalty for them in the past years. How
0: about this, JJ? I mean, when they signed the Ofelke Peralta in the off for I think it was three hundred twenty-five, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. That was the largest bonus they've ever given to a Dominican amateur. So that was that so tells that's, you.
1: Yeah, that's no penalty for them. That's that's oh, we can only spend what we've always spent. But that's where I do think that loophole is going to get closed. Because what's going to happen is that baseball, the, the international draft is coming because then what's going to happen is is the penalties for that would be instead of you can only sign guys for 250,000 or more is we're going to take away your picks in next year's draft international draft
0: right and i wouldn't
1: be again i'm not i'm not going off limit predicting that's happening i will say though it's a it's a logical offshoot if if major league baseball decides well we haven't planned down on spending internationally as much as we had hoped for Right. Well, that's the next thing you do because then it closes that door, and then you really are locked in, much like you are in the draft. But again, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, because as we've t- talked about many times, baseball has created much more incentives now that if you are awful, you get mu- you get significant incentives to get that will make you better than if you're just merely mediocre. Mediocre now beans that you've got to hit on your draft a lot more than if you're awful if you're awful you're going to have your pick of the best players and there's not really any exceptions to that now whereas if you're merely mediocre you can if you draft really well you can still build through the farm system but it's going to be a lot tougher than if you've got the one two or three pick where you're going to have millions more to spend in the draft than a guy a team that picks 15th.
0: i agree yeah by the way
1: if you sign free agents you're going to lose that pick Where you don't, it's the top 10.
0: Yep, no, I agree. I think it feels like the more, uh, again, the law of unintended consequences seems to constantly bite MLB on these um, efforts to limit uh, signing bonuses. And I just, you know, I don't don't quite understand that. I think it would be much better for major league teams if they stopped, if if they made more mistakes in the draft for a million dollars. And fewer mistakes on Ryan Howard for 125 million dollars. So, <laughs> the mistakes at the big league level are much bigger mistakes. Um, JJ, we got uh, I'll let you go in a minute, but we got a lot of Twitter questions.
1: Hey, um, I'm, in, uh, I'm in the
0: car, so I'm fine. <laughs> I know, but I got a lot to do, so I'm going to let you go after I. Uh, I'm going to hit you up on this uh, quick, rapid fire Twitter questions. Got a lot of questions on Twitter at John Manuel Ba, at JJ Coop 36. Our Twitter handles uh simon who's at federer funhouse asks how do alberto torrado and uh labort look what's the lansing rotation going to look like not sure if you saw those pictures uh it's i guess it's hiro labort jj took me a minute to remember hiro's name which is one of my favorite names in baseball hiro labort i'm I'm not sure if i'm pronouncing
1: it right but it's fun to say hiro labort uh what'd what'd you think Unfortunately, I didn't get to see uh, either of them in, in my one-day look. Um, I, I do think Lansing, that Lansing rotation is. I, I actually kind of asked Clayton uh, McCullough, their uh, director of instruction, about that after uh, after the games, and all. And very non-committal. Um, it's early in spring training. I, I even if they know, I think that they don't want it to be known if they know who guys where guys are going because. But it's true. It's going to be very competitive. Not everyone's going to make that Lansing club that you know wants to, obviously. And so there are some battles there. I, I think, but I I feel confident in saying that if, without any question, if you said what's going to be the most interesting club in the Blue Jays farm system this year, you know, without I'm not going to we can't include the uh, short season rookie league teams in this yet because we don't know what their draft's going to be. But uh, it's going to be Lansing. You know, now, again, they you talk about team. They've been hurt because they've gone out and drafted guys who haven't signed. So, right. it, how much better could it even be than it is? But they're going to have a couple of You know, they're going to have an extra picks because of that in this year's draft. And they do have, I think, pretty pretty safe that Rowdy Teles probably makes that club. Um, I wouldn't say it's outlandish at all to think that that Barreto makes it, that Mitch Nay makes it that right there, that's an infield that's going to be worth watching. Yeah, we,
0: actually, we had a couple questions. My... We had a couple okay. questions, JJ, about... We had a couple questions about Rowdy Tellez and the Blue Jays. Something like, you, you did get a chance to see Tellez. Who, who did you see uh, in Toronto? I and, did see
1: Tellez. played the whole game. Like, they made a point, like, Tellez played the whole game. Nay and Barreto and all played about half of it. You know, got one thing that stood out was is that this is not you know apropos of nothing, but Willing to get dirty. Uh, you know, I took video. You'll see it on the site uh, before too long. But you know, head was covered in head to toe in dirt. Um, you know, played pretty high energy. Body looked pretty good. I think that's always been a question with uh, you know with with Rowdy because he is a, a bigger first baseman, but the body looked good. Um, you know, again, I, I I preface this. I see a lot of baseball and all. I'm I'm not a scout, uh, but swing looked pretty uh, pretty pure. Just he. He looked the part. He, he looked like what you would expect to see, uh, a pretty advanced lefty uh, first baseman who seems ready. Uh, again, it would not shock me at all. I, I would think that he probably is ready for, for low A.
0: And, J.J., a lot of the other questions. I'm not sure if you saw Yoel Macias in uh, uh, Phillies camp or Roman Quinn. I guess there reports that Roman Quinn's running and that Yoel Macias is already uh back on his throwing program I'm not sure if you saw either of those guys again i know you, you had a brief
1: look those um, you know because for one thing i was i my flight in on tuesday meant i got the right time for the game so i didn't get to see any workouts for either of those teams and uh you know quinn if he's working it's probably working in more of the you know the, the pretty much the schedule here for minor league teams every day with few exceptions is you show up there you know they're, they're the, the complex by eight eight thirty in the morning. They're on the field by a little after nine fifteen or so. Do some you know some kind of workouts, and all, get ready. BP start around ten, and then they're doing a lot of the kind of the regular instruction. You like today at Rays camp. I mean, I you know just kind of a little slice of life of what it is like for these guys. So you have on one field you have te- you know hitters taking BP, uh, you know pitchers shagging in the outfield on another field. You have uh, guys taking BP, but they also have a uh, uh, pitching machine just facing the the fence behind home plate, and they got a net set up bunning there. Over uh, you know on the kind of the half field, they had pitchers doing PFPs over uh, kind of with the kind of the extra uh, you know the extra bullpen mounds in between feet park fields. They have uh, catchers who are sitting there working on blocking drills. You have you know they they worked on Had pitchers work on throwing intentional walks. The catcher signals the intentional walk. Okay, here's how you throw it. You know, you you get a lot of those details. Uh, you know, that's where the detail work comes in, is that you want to have all that set in place to do it the Ray's way or the Blue Jays way or the Phillies way or take your pick. During that's what you do in the morning, so that hopefully when it comes around to game time in the afternoon, you pull off, you do the things. You know, they're working on situations, okay. Fielding drills, okay. There's bases loaded, no out. Okay, what are we going to do here? Let's work on the signs. What are you going? All, all those things that all gets worked out during spring training.
0: That's uh, that's why backfields are so much fun, JJ. I mean, who, who doesn't want to watch catching drills? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was, yeah. They actually, but it, the whole thing uh, is actually fun though. I, mean, I, I love, I just love the atmosphere of uh, of of the backfield just because. Like you said, it's the one. Th- they aren't. Gout- they're, they're no big league prices, and there's no pretense. It's people are there to work, and uh, you really get to see these guys gearing up for a season. Um, and you get to see multiple peak guys gearing up. It's a. It's a. It's a lot of fun.
1: Although I will point out that the Red Sox, who can print money at this point because they've got such a fan base, they're the one place. The backfields of the Red Sox do have a concession stand. You can get a Fenway Frank, uh, you know, at the Red Sox minor league fields, which. Most of the other Bayer league parks I've been to, you know, the backfields at the uh, spring training complexes, don't even think of the idea of having a concession stand. But you do in Boston. You do for the Red Sox.
0: Well, we want to remind oh, everybody. Thing I, saw,
1: thing I saw yesterday with that was. Okay. The other thing. So Rich Hill came in, pitched a, uh, you know, a, 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 an inning of a simulated game, and then they had a Japanese pitcher. I don't even have his name yet, but a Japanese pitcher who they're kind of trying out. They wanted to see if they wanted to sign him or not. So that they had him go out and do uh, an inning of a sim game. So. You truly do never know what you're gonna see on the backfields. Again, I, I gotta track down who this guy's name is, but you know, he was 84, 86, but kept everything low, had a split, all that, everything you would expect kind of from a uh, control type Japanese pitcher. But you never know what you're gonna see on the backfields from one day to another. Yeah, that's that, that's
0: a mystery Japanese pitcher. That's interesting. Uh, now you've, you've piqued my interest. Well, when you find it out, I'm sure you'll tweet it at coop 36 um, obviously you can look for JJ's coverage on the uh, baseball and we'll have, and obviously, uh, his tweets at jjcoop coop 36 and JJ will podcast when you come back and, uh, review, uh, you, your trip to Florida and uh, just looking forward to the whole thing. And, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have more time.
1: A uh, Take it, I mean, that's one thing Is is where, you know, you'll be able to see a lot of these guys. Un- unfortunately, it's a little hard to, to edit and then post on a, uh, spotty, uh, hotel, uh, fi connection. But, uh, but we will have a lot of video of these guys so you can see what they're looking like right now, too. Time to hit the library. <laughs>
0: Byron Buxton style. So uh, so for our Byron Buxton correspondent, J.J. Cooper, uh, correspondent for other, uh, all, all things for Florida spring training, I'm John Manuel. We'll be back uh, on another part of this Baseball America podcast with Josh Norris from Arizona as we continue talking spring training here at the Baseball America podcast.